Welcome to Health or Consequences, Commonwealth Magazine's Healthcare and Public Health Policy Podcast. I'm Paul Haddis, recently retired from the Tufts University School of Medicine, here with my colleague, John McDonough, from the T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And we are delighted to have with us someone who I think can be fairly described as the longest serving healthcare executive in our state, Jim Hunt, Executive Director of the Massachusetts League of Health Centers. And Jim recently announced that he's retiring in December, but Jim, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, Stepping down as president and CEO on December 31st and staying on to help my successor as president emeritus through June 30. Great. Well, we we, we wanna explore both uh, the opportunities of, of the longevity of your career looking back a little bit uh, over those time, but also a little bit forward looking. I'm going to start it actually to have you tell us a little bit of our audience about uh, when you joined the Mass League in the early 70s and really what you found at that time, the Columbia Point Health Center renamed Geiger Gibson later on had been created and a few other health centers were on the scene. But tell us in our audience uh, a bit about what it was like when you arrived at the Mass League. I think, uh, I think the history uh, precedes me, but uh, it's uh, a good chapter in All Politics Are Local to understand the origins of Columbia Point. Uh, the fallen president of the United States, John F. Kennedy's brother-in-law, was appointed by Lyndon Johnson to head the Office of Economic Opportunity. And in that work, uh, his job, Sergeant Shriver's job, was to stimulate economic growth. Uh, wasn't so much about healthcare. It was about community empowerment, maximum consumer participation, and stimulating the economy with jobs and access to those jobs and with healthcare as an aside. Uh, Senator Edward M. Kennedy was approached by two uh, Tufts Medical School and medical, Tufts Medical School uh, uh, student, not students, physicians, uh, Jack Geiger and Count Gibson, uh, as an after effect, uh, Jack Geiger uh, was 95 years old on November 11th. And uh, we sent him the Mass League email, the annual email congratulating him on his uh, recent birthday. Uh, so Geiger said, I had gone to South Africa and studied with Sydney and Emily Kark around um, what they were doing with tribal reserves and empowering communities to start these community clinics, Durban uh, being the urban one and Puelo being the rural one. And I would like to do that here because there's so much poverty in the South. There's so much uh, disenfranchisement and disparity in the South. And uh, the freedom marches have just begun, uh, 63, 64. I would like to establish uh, one of these health centers in a place in the South. And Kennedy said, that is fabulous as long as we do one in John McCormick, Speaker of the House John McCormick's district at Columbia Point. So that's really the essence of the start of the Community Health Center movement now 55 years young. Kennedy went to Columbia Point in 1966, again, pre my time, uh, but I've taught it, I've read it, I've I've written it, uh, I know it as well as the Senator did. And he basically turned to his driver, whose name was Walsh from Western Mass, and I actually verified this. He said, what's different about this place? Um, uh, Whatever the fellow's name was, Tom or Bill Walsh. And he said, "Uh, I don't know, Senator. They provide, looks like they provide loving care. He said, yes, but they also have rocking chairs for the mothers with their children. Jim, did that stimulate other health centers to come into fruition at that time? 
Yes, in both Boston, because everyone wanted one, and also across the nation. At the time, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee in Washington was a gentleman from New York by the name of Adam Clayton Powell. And he was very close to the medical schools and the medical establishments. So he wanted one in New York. Uh, there was one that was proposed and, and cited uh, in Chicago, one in Denver, uh, all around uh, teaching hospitals who had young uh, energetic physicians and others who wanted to give, give back. At the same time in Boston, there was more of a grassroots consumer movement. So all these health committees got together at Northeastern, 24 of them, my wife, Jean, was there. Bill Walzak was organizing in Codman Square, Tristram Blake in the South End, Jack Craddock in Jamaica Plain, John Coldiron, Bob Eunice, and Sister Kathleen volunteering out of Kearney Hospital. So there was a spontaneous organic movement in and around Boston was being replicated across the country. Uh, $38 million was on the table, which was a lot of money at the time. And in fact, by the time I joined the league, some years later as a volunteer in 73 and four, in the Ponset in 72 and 71, and then as a full-time staffer in 77, it was well underway. Uh, but uh, the origins of the league started with consumers maximum consumer participation. And by the time, and John McDonough will remember this, by the time the Health Planning Act of 1975 was put into place, Kennedy and others uh, made a maximum consumer participation uh, project of having a community board in every community health center in the country. One more point on this. Uh, through the Kevin White era, the city of Boston mayor, Kevin White, and others at health and hospitals, Lou Pollock being one, uh, teaching hospitals were called to the table and they were asked uh, to help and to provide primary care in certain neighborhoods. Thus, uh, the Brigham, Brigham, Brigham and Women's Hospital established two health centers, Brookside and Southern Jamaica Plain. The Massachusetts General Hospital established three health centers in Charlestown, Chelsea, and uh, Revere. And of course, the Kearney Hospital established several health centers in Dorchester, some of which spun off to become uh, independent and some joined other hospitals and Beth Israel started one later on at Bowdoin Street. So there was help from the teaching hospitals as well as these federal grants that, that came in. Ironically, the first uh, cycle of funding was $38.5 million. Uh, today, health center appropriations from Congress uh, are up at and above $6.5 billion annually. So, you know, your answer to that first question, you have Justin ocean of knowledge and insight from your experience. How did you end up becoming the head of the Mass League? And when you took it over in the late 70s, what were the major problems you were trying to deal with at that point in time? What was, what was the burning platform in those days? Well, let me just say that Nationwide Search ends in Dorchester as a start. Uh, my predecessor, uh, Bill Manso, who taught me so much, was a Catholic priest. And he went on to greener pastures to do other things and go back into ministry. And a nationwide search was conducted. There were two heads of the Mass League at the time, uh, Ed Grimes at Uppins Corner and Gregory Bulger at Mattapan. Uh, Gregory really wanted a community activist like myself who had political aspirations. And I think if you were to ask Ed, Ed would say, well, Jim will never stay. That was 41 years ago. So after the nationwide search, uh, I was given a chance and uh, history uh, took it from there. My first official act at the league was uh, to try to 
get a loan forgiven that came out of the Carter administration to start a shared services laboratory. Uh, we took a $150,000 loan uh, before I joined the league, spent 75,000 and had no intention of doing the laboratory. So my first official act was one in truth and transparency. I flew down to Washington with great advice from Mel Scoville and others, just tell the truth. I was 28 years old. And I sat in front of these bankers and I said, uh, we're not gonna draw down the second amount, the second $75,000. I have $14,000 in the bank. I'm laying off the entire staff. I don't know if I can ever pay you back. And they said, "Never mind, we'll forgive it. Thanks for telling the truth. Have a nice life. And they forgave the $75,000 note. Little did they know that the Permanent Charity Fund, the now Boston Foundation, said, if you can get that loan forgiven, we'll give you $50,000. And uh, predecessors in the legislature to John McDonough said, if you can keep the league going because we think it's worth it, we'll give you an earmark uh, in the legislature. So I had some money waiting if I could get this particular loan off our back. And that was my first official act. Uh, the second was that the health centers didn't talk to each other. Uh, I don't know if it's apropos to say that they were very turfy, but they were. Boards didn't want to merge with boards. Boards didn't want to talk to other boards. Boards wanted to control the health centers. Administrators didn't trust boards and vice versa. And then there was a huge racial divide in this, across the city of Boston. And I knew that I had to breach that somehow. And I determined with some advice from some great people uh, to try to find commonalities rather than the differences. So when Amasha Barros, an African-American woman consumer who later became a BS trained social worker and worked at the Fuller, Solomon Carter Fuller, uh, said to me, should never meet with these other folks. I would say to Marsha, well, can't we get Ken Guskett and others uh, in the black community to uh, talk with some of these folks and see if we can get some more of these grants for the city of Boston? Well, then she was very interested because she wanted one. And anyway, Roxbury Comp was formed with a grant and others along the way. But by the time the Health Planning Act um, was passed, I think we had 17 either full-fledged federally funded health centers or lookalikes in the city of Boston, 17. So Jim, we go around the country and we see now there are community health centers, neighborhood centers all over the country, but there's no other state in the country you can go to that has such a deep, rich and developed community health center network as Massachusetts. And you've become not just, you were not just the leader in Massachusetts, you're also one of the most important people in the National Association of Community Health Centers for many years but reflect on the difference, the kind of the riches of community health in Massachusetts versus what you find if you travel around the country to other states. Well, we had rich and powerful uh, supporters and rich, I mean, in their commitments to communities. I don't mean in, in wealth. And it was bipartisan in Massachusetts. We always had support of governors Governors like Bill Weld and Paul Salucci from the other side of the aisle. Uh, Mitt Romney, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming brought to the table, but uh, very supportive, as well as uh, uh, Michael Stanley Dukakis and other governors uh, that came along the way. Senate and House leadership always supporting health centers. I remember in 1988, with some help from our friends, including people here who are on this call, went to the House and in the chapter 93 legislation, which was the first pass at uh, universal coverage, we were able to get a commitment of $1 million uh, 
uh, from both the House and Senate. We had a big party at Kearney Hospital. I wish I still had the t-shirt. And the t-shirt said, everybody in the pool, because we created the Massachusetts free care pool, which is now called the health safety net. We all served on those commissions. I served on them with John and others and other friends. But that was a, that was a milestone that was uh, replicated nationwide, at least for a while. The second year, we got $2 million. And the third year, I received a call from uh, Senator Bulger's office in the Senate, Senate President Bulger. And he asked me to meet with he and others, including Senator Patricia McGovern, uh, to discuss this request for $3 million in the free care pool. It was a Saturday morning. I went in and Bulger said to me, uh, Jim, we know the great war of God's work that health centers are doing. And we love our health center in South Boston, but this is a lot of money. So we're going to take the language out earmarking $3 million from the pool uh, for community health centers. And instead, I'm going to insert the language, any amount necessary to create access to people of, who are underserved people in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I can't say the amount because I really don't know it, but it's, it's at least a couple of billion dollars that health centers have received out of the so-called health safety net to support people who lose their insurance, who have Medicaid insurance one day, no insurance the next day at least a couple of billion dollars. Uh, and in particular, uh, through the efforts of, uh, of John and the Children's Health Insurance Program, the expansion of oral health care, and, and uh, certainly the ACA, we've been able to continue to expand health centers. Uh, there are now about 9,000 in the country. Now, Jim, those health centers live in a uh, very big and complicated healthcare world and, and market. And for the last 25 years or so, we've seen a lot of provider consolidation in that healthcare market. How has that really affected health centers over time? There was a major city leader who used to call me in all the time and say, how many health centers you got in Boston? I'd say 25. I'd say, how many CEOs do you have? I said, 25. I said, how many CFOs you got? I said, 25. <laughs> and on and on. And uh, it was that independence of separation and identity that became really, really uh, uh, important to health centers across Massachusetts and across the city. By that time, we had grown to 50 health centers across Massachusetts. But the reality of um, size, scope, and ability to consolidate shared services, et cetera, uh, has provided an, an enlightenment that is very different today than it was 25 or 30 years ago when everyone was being insular to their own neighborhood, their own community, et cetera. So today I think the informal lines of loose affiliations, strong affiliations, and even the full asset merger that we just experienced between East Boston and the South End Health Center are here to stay. I think working together with Stronger and formulating networks or through the recent accountable care organization models, health centers will be joining together. The League Two, the League Two is on a pathway of creating shared services opportunities uh, for health centers in areas of business practices, billing, lab work, uh, IT support, IT itself, uh, which I think will take hold and shape as trust grows. Uh, it would help tremendously if there were resources to encourage that, if there were dollars on the table uh, to do that. My dear friend, Howard Coe, uh, who I hope, uh, I hope someone asks him to be Surgeon General. <laughs> I hope they do, because uh, he'd be a terrific Surgeon General, other than either one of you. Uh, I think that uh, 
um, there will be opportunities um, if they're stimulated opportunities, if there are dollars available, if the integrity of each health center can be maintained. And, um, and I also would say uh, the, the spirit of Columbia Point when it joined uh, Neponset Health Center forming Harbor Health of taking Columbia Point board members and not separating it out as a separate board, but integrating them into the Harbor Health, uh, uh, Neponset Health Center board was instrumental in keeping those, uh, those health center individuals, those community board members feeling as though they were connected and respected. What are the most pressing issues facing health centers right now, November, 2020 in Massachusetts? Uh, the balance between getting people into care who need to be seen directly, teaching and training and enabling telehealth, everything from uh, no broadband in Western Mass of docs having to do um, visits from their cars, unacceptable. And um, if you will, uh, empowering communities themselves to uh, say it's okay to visit your health center. We wanna welcome all those, uh, regardless of their ability to pay like we always have. The issue secondarily, which um, factors into all of this is workforce. So if you have a health center, these are figuratives now rather than literals. If you have a figure health center with uh, two docs and three nurse practitioners in rural America, and one of the nurse practitioners becomes exposed uh, whether or not they test positive or negative, all of a sudden you have a disaster in your hands with everybody quarantining. So it's getting around that. Uh, we have had special relationships with Broad and with uh, uh, Quest Diagnostics on our testing capability, but we are swamped with requests uh, for more testing, more hours, more testing sites. I get calls every day from consumers saying, can you get me a test here or there? Some of our team are really, really worried about symptomatic testing being prioritized over leisure travel testing. So some of the calls that the health centers are getting and the visits and the lines being formed in the community testing sites are for leisure travel. Well, I'm sorry, but if we have symptomatic patients uh, in community health centers uh, versus uh, someone taking a nice trip for the Thanksgiving weekend, I think they have to come first. And then the second thing is the uh, inability in some communities to do contact tracing. We have 34 health centers that have signed up with us to do contract, contract tracing through Partners in Health. Uh, and the league is the contracted agent for Partners in Health. Rather than 34 individual contracts and 34 negotiations, et cetera, uh, the command center encouraged Partners in Health to contract with the league and the league is contracting with the health centers. So we're boldly investing in contract tracing, but in certain communities, there is fear. In certain communities, there are language barriers. In certain communities, uh, there are immigration barriers of getting people comfortable about who did you see, who did you have dinner with, wh whose house did you visit, et cetera. This becomes very complicated, particularly for uh, families and people of color, and particularly those who speak other languages. So those are a couple of the big giant challenges at the moment, uh, and getting people into care that need it. Jim, you are, you are recognized as a national leader on community health and community health centers. You've been a vital part of the National Association of Community Health Centers. Um, what's your, what have you learned about being effective in terms of dealing with government at state, federal, local level? Uh, what, what are the secrets? What are, could you share some of the secrets of your incredible success over these past 40 years or so? 
There was a fellow who wrote a book in the uh, late 1990s, and I think the I think the uh, book is called Experiencing Politics. And uh, his name is John McDonough. And in chapter seven, which I used to teach my students, uh, John uh, created the pathway for the Children's Health Insurance Program through uh, incrementalism and compromise. Um, in the public health world, when I first came, it was black or white. It was uh, our way or nothing at all. And um, although I was heavily criticized in some circles for that, I decided that we would never give up the good for the perfect. So finding that common ground and focusing on the common ground was clearly uh, one of my, I think, successes. And formulating relationships that were deep uh, and that went into the work and into teaching why the work needed to be supportive uh, would probably be the second one. Uh, going and thanking people when they had done something for you a year ago and thanking them for continuing to listen to you rather than coming in with your next five sets of asks. asks. And John McDonough experienced that as a legislator from me many times. So in, no, in 1992, the programs were consolidated and there were many health center leaders on the association side, uh, particularly in urban America, who said, well, we really want to focus on uh, disparities among races and we don't want to embrace homeless healthcare programs, programs in public housing and migrant seasonal farm workers. Uh, we ran out to embrace Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. We ran to the New England, New England farm workers to talk about farm worker health in the, in the West. And every housing development that had a healthcare and public housing grant, we welcomed into the league. And we grew stronger by those efforts together. And I can't tell you how much return we've gotten on investment uh, in rural Western Massachusetts or in the Boston delegation or the Project Hope Hospital that, that uh, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless ran during the, the peak of the, uh, of the pandemic. So um, finding the common ground, uh, trying to um, integrate urban and rural interests. And I did that nationally as well. Um, before my presidency of NAC, it was traditionally an African-American organization. And I basically went to the leadership of those caucuses and said, uh, New England can be extremely helpful. Uh, we have a very strong set of congressional leadership in, in New England. And if you let me on the legislative committee of the National Association, uh, we'll bring that to bear. And three years later, I was president of the National Association. Jim, let's, let's, let's build on those Washington ties and hopes to say that come January, we're gonna have a Biden administration. The control of the Senate today is still uncertain. The House will be in Democratic hands. What are health centers from Massachusetts hoping for come January, 2021? We're studying that now, and the Biden platform is very specific on the growth of health centers. Uh, the issues to health center, though, health centers though, are much more complicated. Growth of health centers is great, should happen, but it has to happen slowly and with purpose. Uh, we do not have the workforce right now to, to staff and, and maintain another two, three, five hundred community health centers. Uh, what we do have the capacity to do is teach and train the next generation of nurse practitioners, of psychologists, of clinical social workers. We do have the ability to welcome more National Health Service Corps 
if you will, trainees who are either scholars or loan repairs, uh, who we can then indoctrinate into the health center program and keep them. And we do have capacity to stand up freestanding residencies like our Lawrence Community Health Center or community-based residencies like so many health centers have across the Commonwealth, South Boston and Codman Square and, and the Bay State Health Centers in the West, just to name a few. So I think there are some steps that we're recommending to the Biden administration that says for longer term success, we've got to create and model a workforce that basically is reflective of our patients, by the way, uh, through an equity lens, uh, through a racial and linguistic lens and grow the program slowly. Uh, we're getting calls all the time uh, for partnerships with hospitals partnerships with uh, large uh, groups, group practices, et cetera, who see it in, in their own interest to affiliate with health centers. They may be loose affiliations, but we see that as a real potential going across the country rather than trying to be competitive with your local hospital or your academic medical center to try to cooperate with them in their medical school. I just had a call uh, recently, a wonderful conversation with the Dean of the Tufts Dental School. And the Dean said to me, is there any chance we could uh, interface with the league? I said, why don't you become a member? Uh, and they've al already become a member. We just admitted them to membership uh, last week, the Tufts Dental School. Well, what that will mean is we'll be getting our staffs, our dental directors and others into those classrooms at Tufts. That's what we'll be doing. It really sees an enhanced education and training mission for health centers and their staffs is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Jim, all I could say from for speaking for John and I, we're going to be in touch with you. And I'm sure a lot of the folks in the healthcare world are going to need all that history that people heard today and all that strategic good thinking. So thank you so much for being our guest today. We wish you the best. I wish health centers in the league uh, the very best in Michael Curry's hands with your transitional support. So thank you for coming today. And thank you to both of you, my friends. It's been a long time together. The more to come. 